the game has start, started with the military. So that's, that's kind of where its primary focus has always been. So in that kind of a mindset, a quick way to describe the, the setting would be if you took like Halo, which a lot of people may be familiar with from video gaming, combine it with Starship Troopers and told people you're going to role play in that kind of universe. You've got these invading species called the Arachnids who are trying to take over everything and you've got to defend this town and there's a lot of them and not as many of you, but you've got good guns and you are in the right. So of course you'll prevail if you're lucky. If you say the real life ends up your days and you don't have time to play, well, midlife is the best time to start a new role-playing phase. And you need a rescue, Chase coming at you with a rescue, a role-play rescue, Chase gonna help my friend, let's sit down to My name is Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Greetings, rescuers. In the last week that I was at work, I hopped onto Zoom for a chat with a member of the team responsible for updating a seminal science fiction role-playing game. Dave Saruko is one of the partners at 23rd Century Productions, LLC. His focus area is gaming rules, including ship combat and general rules. He's been playing RPGs since the 70s. What I didn't know is that he turned out to be one of the most pleasant and patient guests I've ever had the honour to interview. This interview almost didn't happen, but it was David's gentle determination that got me to sit down with him. He didn't know that I was heading for a mental health breakdown, but I am hugely grateful that he stuck with me and encouraged the conversation. This interview has been a joy to revisit, and I offer it today as the last episode of Roleplay Rescue Season 7. He got me back looking at what is, to my mind, a truly great science fiction role-playing game that I thoroughly encourage you to check out for yourselves. This is Season 7, Episode 20, Battle Lords of the 23rd Century, with David Sirico. Let's dive in. Rescue! My guest today is Dave Sirico. Welcome to the show, Dave, and thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you for having us here. Well, I guess it's just me, but... <laughs> Inviting us to this show. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm. You're representing the the company, right? Representing the team. I'm here to represent the whole team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, look, thanks for coming on. In fact, actually, thanks to is it Tony? Did you say who's been bugging yeah. on Twitter? But thanks so much to to him as well for like you know poking me with a big Twitter button and saying, hey, we'd like to talk to you. Um, so that's really good. I've just got a rat in the background here now, on a water bottle, and he's just going to ruin my my audio. But never mind. Right. Um, I have one question I always ask all my, pretty much all my guests first. So uh, I'll do that one. Um, player or GM? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, most recently tend towards running the games, but um, spent a lot of time playing it as well. So just kind of depends. Great. Which do you actually prefer though? I mean, if you're being honest. 
probably GM more often than not, just because I like the illusion of control until things, you know, as they always seem to do. Uh, players say, well, what if I do? And you're like, yeah, but I spent hours preparing this. What, what, what do you mean you're going to do that? I have, a, I have a funny story in that space, actually, of somebody just completely blowing a, a scenario up. Um, right. Completely unrelated to this game, but uh, it was just hysterical. We can take that online. Uh, take it offline, I guess. I don't know. I However, don't know. either way. It depends if you want to like bust out the dark secrets. I um, I love dark secrets. I mean, one of, another great question um, I love to ask people is, you know, what has been the worst gaming moment? So are we anywhere near that territory? No, no, it was actually a brilliant <laughs> moment. Um, so I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll give you the, a very, very brief version. So it was D&D. Um, yep. I think we were playing, I'm going to guess it was 3.0, might have been 3.5. Don't think it was Pathfinder. Um, could have been, though. It was, it was eh, around those times. Um and it was a module purchased uh, probably at Gen Con because I saw it. It looked kind of interesting. And something about Iron Fortress. I don't remember the full name. It's it's a stock one. Yeah. And uh, it's this high-level game, right? So we've got players that are, you know, 16, 18, somewhere around that level, right? And this fortress is on uh, Elemental Plane of Metal. And it's this big iron tower. And it's full of traps and this long winding progression designed to wear away the team, ultimately in this big, huge boss battle, finishing the whole thing out, knock down, drag out. So I'm looking forward to this whole game session where it's just going to be one little chipping away and chipping away and chipping away. And eventually they are tired, but they've made it to the boss only to find out the boss is really nasty. That's in my head. I'm like, this is going to be fun. And they get to this, they've, they've spent the time, they've done all this research they finally find this tower they're on the elemental plane and uh my wife's a really crafty player she's really she's really brilliant sometimes and she has this idea she's like you know i can summon things right it's like yeah can i summon anything i want it's like well with roll uh, just game roll sure you you want to twist it fine what are you thinking she's like i'd like to summon rust monsters and i'm like oh crap <laughs> And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is not good, but I, I, props for brilliant play, okay, mm-hmm. but this tower, it has a defense, it is magically, you know, it's got magic resistance, it could wipe this out. So I start rolling like crazy, see if any of them make it through, and wouldn't you know it, dice being dice and fickle, oh yeah, a handful make it through, and it's just like, oh. <laughs> I said, yep, you, you, you see this horde of frost monsters appear. They rush towards the tower. They start attacking it, and they start winking out of existence. And five of them keep going. And you see the tower start to shudder, twist, <laughs> fall. And they start taking it all apart. It's all the traps are gone, all this. And so in the bottom, you see the, the, what must be the boss, because big tall scary demon looking thing kind of obvious when you don't have to look through the walls and they yeah we'll kill him boom done i was like okay (laughs) (laughs) that's the much shorter version of it i said as a parting gift i said because you managed to do this the demigod of of rust monsters owes you a favor anytime you want you can now summon them at will no (laughs) roll so one of the best stories i've heard Fantastic. And and I guess the moral of the tale is don't trust the players, right? Yeah. <laughs> no matter how much you're prepared, you're still not prepared. Absolutely. 
So um, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd love to go back to the beginning, really, and just sort of ask how you got into the hobby, how you kind of got yourself started in role-playing games. Sure. So uh, I got started in, uh, I would have to guess it's 77. It was 77 or 78. Mm-hmm. Um, this is back when, before AD&D. Mm. So I started on, for those who are older than dirt like me, um, the box set for D&D that had the nice cover, the booklet was blue with a mm-hmm. dragon, and then the full color cover yep. with the dragon going, and yep. all the people in front of it going, mm, there's a lot of treasure, but those are pointy teeth. So, uh, so that's the one I started with. And uh, not long after that, got into Travelers, which is mm-hmm. probably it's the first sci-fi one. I think there was another one that was earlier than that, but uh, that was the one that I started sci-fi mm-hmm. with. And then, of course, you started into Top Secret, um, played some Gangbusters, um, you know, Star Frontiers eventually once that came out in the early 80s. Mm. Um, so we just started jumping around trying all different things. Um, picked up Battlelords actually uh, yeah. in the mid-90s, um, yeah. not long after it come out um, because Tony, who you'd mentioned earlier, uh, he was in my college and he had had it and he, he invited us over and we decided to, to give it a whirl. He'd uh, picked it up at Gen Con one year and mm. after that, just been really in love with it. And that's one of the two main systems that I really get engaged with. Mm. And of course, we're talking about Battle Lords of the 23rd century. Precisely. As it sits here today upon my desk, this huge tome, which I'm now lifting in front of the camera that no, no one listening can, can, can see, but you know, it's this huge thing. It's got to be, what is that, over an inch and a bit thick, something like that. It's absolutely yep. huge. I'm just going to flip to the back. two kilo. Yeah, 2K of pages, full color. I'm trying to flip to the back because there's all these characters at the back here. But 537 pages is when it runs out of page count. So huge thing. And the thing about this is I kind of vaguely remember seeing Battle Lords on a shelf, the old logo, the old cover, but, you know, back in a game shop, you know, in the 90s. Um, And 92 was the year I kind of finished university. So, oh, okay. you know, around that time, I, I went out to my first proper job around then. And then I started working for Games Workshop in 94. So I, I remember um, seeing this in game shops, but I never bought it. You know, it was one of those, ooh, what's that? And of course, I just assumed it had gone away. Uh, so, you know, when a couple of months ago, um, I got like, you know, Twitter pings and things going, oi, we want to talk to you. It was fascinating to see that it's back. Uh, but I didn't immediately recognize it because the logo has changed and everything else. I didn't kind of make the connection. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I don't know. Tell us a little bit about the story of Battle Lords. I mean, how's that, you know, tell us a little bit about its providence and its history. Right. So, so Battle Lords was originally started by Larry Sims. Mm-hmm. He started his first company and started the whole thing. Um, and he wrote it to some degree based on his experiences in the military. He was in the army. Um, and one of the things that's central to the core of the game is really the, the, the team idea. A bunch of people who may not like each other are welded together into a team that has to support each other, has to have each other's backs because the environment they're going to be in, if you don't, you all die. So you've got a vested interest in being there with, and in the game mechanics, they were building in things from the very beginning about not everybody likes everybody. Everybody yeah. has prejudices but we all have to work together. So that's one of the fundamental things um, that you'll notice uh, that's consistent through the entire history, uh, even as as changed from company to company. Uh, So he, he ran it, he had a game shop in Buffalo. So this one's, this one's a game that's been very, very commonly found any place you could drive to a convention near Buffalo, New York, he'd get to. So predominantly Midwest through East coast and somewhat South. 
mm-hmm. in the U.S. Not so much, I think, across the pond. But I've, I've just, to be honest, we're we're not clear how much it picked up across in uh, the U.K. and uh, yeah. Europe. And then uh, eventually he sold it off to uh, some of the people that work with him and they formed a company, SSDC from Optimus Design. It went to SSDC. They held it for, I don't know, 15 years-ish, I think. And then, um, you know, we all get busy, things change, blah, blah, blah. And they finally hit a point. They're like, "Mm." and we've been involved, Tony and I and Kurt have been involved with them for so long. And they're like, well, what do you guys think? And we said, us, us. So we spun something up a couple years back and ran a Kickstarter and boom, it's all back out on the table again. Fantastic. Now, the thing is, I mean, I got, um, I mean, you very kindly sent me a PDF to review and then me being me, I had to buy the book. So I ordered the book. Um, and the thing I have to say, first of all, I'm, I really want to say this because it's so unusual. That book came from the US to here inside about five days. Okay, it was incredibly fast. I don't know whether you made that happen, but it, it, it was awesome. Um, so <laughs> that's, a, that's unusual. You're usually talking two weeks uh, at least. Um, the other thing was that I didn't get charged taxes on the border, so that was great. Um, but that's by the by. That's what I'm waiting to hear. For the win. Um, <laughs> but actually, you know, getting the book, I mean, the PDF is beautiful, um, but actually you know, to hold this tome, um, is a, an amazing thing and, and I want to say to the listener just for the benefit of the listeners you know you are talking about you know just a beautifully laid out two column book um, in full color with some amazing art I mean if you want to see science fiction art I think you know this was just mind-blowing to me and I have to say there's a wonderful section at the start about the game the game overview chapter one um, and it sort of outlines the stuff about the Battle Lords universe and there were just so many things in there that resonate as a gamer you know this world this this universe is so rich with so many different themes and ideas he kind of hook you instantly you know like oh and i was immediately starting to think about characters i wanted to play and looking at the different species and looking at all the different options it's just so rich and i'm kind of sitting here feeling like i was robbed how come i haven't known about this for like 30 years so that's why i was keen to talk to you guys because i genuinely think it looks like a really exciting game not that i've had a chance to play with it yet it does look quite um i don't know what's the word we're going to use uh detailed that'll be the word i use yeah um because i don't like those terms like crunchy and all of that what i'm what we're really looking at here is a game that's pretty detailed mm-hmm. so yeah the first impression was really really positive and I, what i wanted to just chat about a little bit with first was kind of like well if you were kind of wanting to get into this game you know how do you go about that what would you advise what kind of thoughts would you have for that for you know pulling some buddies together i'm going to have a go at this i'm going to like spin it out to them how do i sell it to them as an idea how do i kind of get it to the table what advice would you have you know sure 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 what do you think so a couple of things on that so i'm gonna i'm gonna drop some things we can we can swing it back and pick up sure. again on the uh back end um so out on drive through rpg mm-hmm. we have Two things I'll point to. You talked about the visual impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so if people do want to see that, there is actually a interior art freebie. So if people want to check out the interior art, that would be a way to do it. Similarly, the quick start rules is really what we tend to go to for the conventions mm-hmm. because they're they're a little lighter weight. They're not quite as detailed. They cover the, the important bases mm-hmm. and give people the options on how much more detail they want to go. So if you don't really want to get into certain things, you don't have to, but it, it's sort of like... You started, yeah, give you the first part free, and then the the rest you're going to want to get. So there's all this back history and stuff that you won't find in there. You'll find the real basic rules and a little bit about some basic characters and things. It gets Mm. them started. So that's what I would say is is a great way to think about it. From a gameplay perspective, the game has started with the military. Um, So that's that's kind of where its primary focus has always been. Yeah. 
So in that kind of a mindset, a quick way to describe the, the setting would be if you took like Halo, which yeah. a lot of people may be familiar with from video gaming, combine it with Starship Troopers mm-hmm. and told people you're going to role play in that kind of universe. You've got these invading species called the Arachnids who are trying to take over everything and you've got to defend this town and there's a lot of them and not as many of you, but you've got good guns and you are in the right. So of course you'll prevail if you're lucky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, had me, you had me at Arachnids, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so um so that would be kind of that kind of a mindset if people are interested in alternate gameplay we've, we've really expanded the rule set allows for a lot of other types of setting play hmm. so if people wanted to think in terms of exploring the fringe and kind of a, a, a wild west kind of a feel hmm. you're out on the you are scheduled out on the edges you could be a mercenary team running around on the edges of of um you know civilization in our context, it'd still be pretty modern, but in, in their context, it's, ooh, that's the 1800s, <laughs> right? You know, they, they've got these massive city worlds, like you can think of from many different types of genres uh, in the science fiction space. Um, but here you're going out where you've got somebody maybe managing a farm with some anti-grav based kind of a kit and some horses and mm. some wheels. And it's just this mishmash of, of high tech and, and no tech. So you can have exploration, you can have uh, another fun one that we've started doing more with is Spycraft, right? You can, you can be a corporate espionage where you're trying to steal the secrets of some other company because all the companies are out there wanting to make a buck. And if they can find an angle to get a, a, a jip on the competition, well, then why shouldn't they, right? You know, yeah. everything in the universe is run by the megacorps. Right. And everybody's a number and um, you've got a certain amount of dollar value attached to you and it's not very high. <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh it's just one of those things where we're always trying to uh give people angles and there's a lot of background to talk through mm. now in terms of mechanisms this is a d100 game right correct yeah it's, it's all percentile based um in general uh the the, the general guideline is you want to roll under something mm-hmm. low is good so an ought one is the equivalent in our game system to the natural 20 from D D. Yeah. And double zot or 100 is the equivalent of a crit fail one. You mm. don't want the double zot. And uh, one, one of the things that makes it more fun, and this gets into the more detailed aspect, um, when you have a weapon system or anything for that matter that's operating, if you get a crit failure, it could be that something happens with that equipment. Mm. And then we take a second roll on the malfunction table. Uh, a yeah. funny story that's happened with that space was uh, we had somebody who uh, decided that they wanted to attack a robot. They had a laser and the laser blast were just bouncing off the armor. And they're like, well, I can't do anything. Wait, it's got a gun. Can I shoot down the barrel of the gun? That might blow up the gun. It worked. Okay, great. Uh, but the second time was even more entertaining because the second time he hits it and I go to roll, it's like, oh, yep, you got a malfunction. I roll for the malfunction. And it was like, you guys hear this big... <laughs> <laughs> and the first two players that were closest gone i mean gone <laughs> it's like here's your here's your damage i pulled this big pile of dice <laughs> like uh <laughs> does it take long to roll up a character <laughs> it can so yeah that is that is a piece of this that can be a little more involved and part of that is actually because when you create the character sheet you're actually putting at your fingertips everything you're gonna need when you're playing mm. so when you create the character it's also about getting all your information set down so that when you need it, it's just yeah. reference. It's about front loading all that, right? Yeah, correct. It's all front. That's a great way to put it. It's all front loaded. Mm. Um, a, a part of it that is also a bit of a trick for some people is 
you know, like D and D you have, I'm a fighter. Mm-hmm. I go up a level, I get better at attacking and maybe I get the ability to pick up new weapons or I'm particularly good at, at striking twice in a round or something, or I can run mm-hmm. two weapons or whatever. And that's kind of a class-based progression system. This one's not, this is a skill-based progression system. Mm-hmm. And so this is where it gets a little more fine grained, right? I can decide to begin with that. I want to be really good at bashing people with a sword and then mm-hmm. change my mind after putting some experience in that and saying, you know what? I want to be good at picking locks. Mm-hmm. That's just not an option in D and D, right? It's yeah. it's it's very big blocks. You 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 choose something and you just kind of that's your path. That's it. And mm. and there's a little bit of ability to kind of go to another path, mm. but it's not fine grained. It's really pretty, mm, mm. for lack of a better term, ham handed around how the character progression goes. Mm-hmm. And in this, it's very fine grained, and so that can be a challenge. And so for that, I just recommend to people think about what you're looking for as a concept. Mm. What are the skills that concept would have? Yeah, and then start putting them in there. Don't worry about the math. Just throw everything in there you want. Mm. And inevitably, you don't have enough points. And then you're like, well, okay, I don't have to be the best at this one. And I can take off points off this one. I really need to take a point off here. How's the math? Oh, dang it. Uh, Mm. Another point here. Um, So if you get kind of that concept-based approach, it really helps. So that's what Mm. I really recommend from a a building a character perspective. Yeah, and I think that's just generally good advice with most skill-based games, isn't it? You know, um, the game I'm playing at most at the moment is GURPS, and it's exactly the same issue. You know, I can I can really customize my character, but it, you actually really have to know what your character is before you build it. Um, and I guess yeah. that's what you're saying. Yeah, okay, exactly. so a natural question that comes out, because you mentioned this element of it being a team game. You know, this is a military team kind of um, game. Does the, How does the game kind of reinforce that idea? Is that purely kind of left to the players to role play? Or are there elements within the system itself that encourage this sort of team dynamic? Yeah, there's, it's kind of a both. Um, mm-hmm. And again, depending on how much of the details people want to include in the, in the role play, mm-hmm. uh, for one, the species have... In, uh, there's a whole table of, of who likes whom, right? Mm. Um, these species get along because they've been pals for centuries. Mm. These species have been at war with those species. So for example, on that, the Fentari and the Eridani, you've got these squid-like creatures, uh, vaguely like predators. Um, it's probably the easiest thing to, to bring to mind. And you have these alien samurai types and they're both methane breathers. They both like the same kinds of worlds and they've been in conflict for centuries, and they've nearly wiped each other out at points in time. So to say they don't like each other is sort of like oil and water mixing. They just don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the Fentari along the way picked up a group they call uh, that's called the Orion Rogues. So they're very good friends because they've been in conflict with the Eridani. But you put them all on a team, now they've got that potential for role-playing dynamic, mm-hmm. right? Well, mm-hmm. I don't like you because I know what your, your grandparents killed my grandparents. That kind of stuff comes yeah. into it, right? So you can definitely do those kinds of things. There's also quirks that uh, I can't remember if all of it made into the core rules, but we have things like some of the quirks around how the Pythonians like to behave, um, how they may uh, work together with each other. So in the older books, I know, for example, the, the kitties love chasing things because they're predators, sight predators. Yeah. It's just instinctual. I see something, I pounce on it kind of mm-hmm. a thing. And they don't get along with the Pythonians, but if the Pythonians throw something, there's this natural instinct to pounce. So they can kind of get into a game where they can respect each other. And it's just, mm-hmm. just little quirks like that they've got thrown in. So that's kind of on the role play side. Mm-hmm. From a team uh, game mechanics perspective, there's a, a bit of a, um, almost a rock, paper, scissors kind of a feel. Mm-hmm. So every weapon, so the, the 
one of the unique things about Battle Lords is the armor and weapons mechanics. Mm -hmm. So we have armor having, it's almost like having a secondary character. It's not a full-fledged character, mm -hmm. but it, it's got threshold, which is used to resist impact. It's got absorption, which is used to absorb impact. Mm -hmm. And then it's got integrity, which basically is how much it exists. It's kind of its armor's hit points. And so you have weapons that are good at taking out the integrity. You have weapons that are good at bypassing the, uh, the, the um, armor and just going straight against the absorption. So you've got all these different angles that you can try to work around the armor. So a team tends to kind of diversify and say, well, you pick up that weapon, I'll pick up this weapon. So we always have somebody with a weapon that can knock down the other person's uh, armor defenses. So it sounds like the tactician's wet dream, frankly. Uh, yeah, it, it has a bit of that aspect if you want to get into those details. Um, it also has a certain amount of gameplay like um, Magic the Gathering, where this card's not that good, that card's not that good, but you put the two together and all of a sudden, ooh, now we're talking. Yeah. So there's, there's weapon systems that play off of each other. So if you mm -hmm. have somebody trying to, to take on somebody, you might have somebody hit them with a metal gun to erode that thickness of armor so they no longer have as, as uh, resistant to being punched through. And the laser, once it punches through, it's just straight damage. So one, two, and now together, the team is really working. Mm. Cool. So how did you get into it then? Because you said it's like came along um, and you discovered it. So the question is like, how did you get into this game? And then what kept you at this get with this game? You know, for the sounds of it, not exclusively, but as a major thing in your in your gaming life. Yeah. So uh, so I have to blame Tony. Uh, Tony got me engaged. Uh, it was it was at university. So I was a master's program and uh, he introduced us to all of, all of this, to this game. And mm. um, just it's the flexibility of the system to do different things has, mm. has really been what's kept me in it. Um, mm. So Travelers is the other main sci-fi game that I ever played. Yeah. And it, it had some limitations in terms of how it approached things mm -hmm. that the system doesn't have. This has a, this has a lot more flexibility as a system. And so, mm. From a mechanics perspective, that's that's what's really driven me. The, I think part of the other thing that really kept me in it was Travelers had spaceships and spaceship combat, albeit it was fairly complex for those who are old enough to remember Travelers Space Combat. Uh, high guard systems, lots of fun. Um, but again, it was a very, very complicated combat system for one-on-one -on -one combat. Um, and Battle Lords, for all it being a science fiction game system, never had that. And that always bugged me. So I was always right. working on how do I build something for that? And so I finally had the opportunity, honestly, with this with this course app. I'm fascinated by, as well by the, you know, the creators kind of, you know, coming from that military background. Um, I presume that that has really sort of seeped and oozed through the, the product range. Is that something you've managed to really keep alive, taking it forward yourselves as well? Yeah. So in our group, we have a lot of experience with personal combat between our martial arts experiences. Mm -hmm. We all have mm, 20 plus years. I'll just leave it at that mm -hmm. um, of martial arts experience to draw on. So the hand to hand stuff we could mm -hmm. we could talk to pretty in pretty good detail. Um, and then from a firearms perspective, we also have a lot of background in that space as well. Yeah. So we have a lot of background to draw on from a personal experience in that space. Um, not so mm -hmm. much pure military, but enough with with the systems that we can we can, we can talk pretty well to them. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the principles we've always worked towards is we start with what's realistic, what would really happen, mm. and then we dial it back to fun. Yeah. Because if it's realistic, but it's no fun, then who cares, <laughs> right? Yeah. You, nobody's going to play. You, you'll always have that one, right? There's always somebody to be like, oh, wow, I've got to calculate windage. And, da -da -da -da, and you're like, uh. mm. But, uh, you know, how do we keep it fun? And, and honestly, just to segue slightly, yeah. that was part of what drove the current edition. 
there yeah. were a number of things in the mechanics. It's like, mm, this is just a bit of a rough edge. We don't, you know, we still want some detail, but mm. this way of doing that detail is, is probably not the best way to do it. So how do we get the same outcome, but do it a little differently? Uh, so an example of that would be um, how we deal with auto fire. So auto fire in the game system, originally uh, up through the last edition, you'd roll percentile dice for every single shot and then roll percentile dice for every single location you hit, then roll your damage for every single location you hit. Two hours later, <laughs> right? Somebody says, anybody want coffee? I'm going to go out. Anyone want curry? I'll go get a curry, anything, you know, and, and I'll be back. Um, and they knew they'd have time. Yeah. And we're like, kind of kills gameplay, right? You know, realistic, probably fun, not so much. Um, unless, you know, sometimes it's really worth it, right? You just had the big battle. It's the boss. You've got the arachnid dead in your sights. You hit him 50 times. Okay, that might be kind of fun. But most of the time, it's just, it's in the way, right? <laughs> sometimes you do want to roll all those dice. You've got a big pile. Sometimes you just got to get it out. But for most of the time, it's not so useful. So we added some concepts like average damage. Sometimes mm -hmm. average damage is good enough. Here's what is going to happen. Um, and the, the mechanic that we came up with was, uh, if you think about the body, just divided up into six equal locations, head, chest, arms, legs. Mm. Oh, that applies to a D6. Well, that's starting to get pretty easy, right? If I roll mm. a D6, I know where on the body I've hit. Yeah. Uh, and then for auto fire, we're like, well, some are going to miss because you've got this mm. jumping going on with a bigger gun, especially some of the, uh, so one of the guns is an Omega weapon. Mm. It's firing a, a force field at Mach 5. It's got a bit of kick. <laughs> <laughs> right it's like a double barrel shotgun you're firing both barrel right it's gonna have kick so it's like well we could do a d8 for simple things d10 for bigger things d12 so we've got this okay we can do this mm -hmm. uh, and then you just so then auto fire becomes i roll a bunch of dice of the appropriate size a d6 and a bunch of d8s and all of a sudden i can just really quickly let me get all the ones together the twos the threes the fours mm -hmm. anybody who's played with dice it's just it's just a natural mechanic we don't it's hard to explain but the first mm -hmm. time somebody sees and does it they're like oh i get this this is easy yeah. i can do this and then we added in a, a mechanic when people train they get better at understanding how to keep things on target mm -hmm. and we call that bumping uh, because what they can do is bump it in or out they can they can yeah. group up the shots and mm -hmm. again from a mechanics perspective it's like oh i've got all these ones but i really want to nail it with chest because the the system the weapon mm -hmm. system i'm using is great against the chest but the helmet's usually too thick i'm never going to mm -hmm. get through it so i'd rather hit the chest so i can take all those ones flip them to twos done right so mm -hmm. it's a very quick and easy here's how i've grouped my shots the part of the body mm -hmm. i want here's my average damage boom how'd i do mm -hmm. that's great He's wounded, but he's not dead. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I mean, it sounds like a very tactile kind of mechanism, really. You know, you like, like you said, it's like the sort of thing that if you played with dice, you'd understand just sort of instinctively. Um, but again, I guess if I'm trying to introduce people to the game, I could do is sitting with them and showing them, you know, and like kind of, mm -hmm. it's actually probably better to, it's that learn by doing thing. Um, I find so often with role-playing games is just the best way of teaching anybody, isn't it? All right, you sit down, his character, yep. I roll his dice, shoot in the arachnid, okay? Um, yep. You know, and you kind of go from there, don't you? So that's yep. um, all good. Um, in terms of, tell us a little bit about the, I mean, you mentioned a little about the universe with the, the you know, the corporates and all the rest of it. I mean, I was reading it, and there's a kind of part of my brain going, how many things can you steal from science fiction um, and put into one game? And it turns out quite a lot is, is <laughs> All what of them? I thought. Yeah. <laughs> it's just definitely starting from a very dystopian future. We've got an invading species coming in. Mm -hmm. um, so you've kind of got that Starship Troopers feel. We have corporations who run everything. They own 
everything. Mm. Where people live is determined by where they need people. So they may just say, you know what, you can choose to live here, but you won't have a job or you can move there and we'll give you a job. Mm. Uh, I guess I'm moving. Good answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, the whole thing, idea of OSHA, well, you know, we've got plenty of people. If a few people die, we don't really need a safety railing there. So there's this whole, um, the corporations really, and there's a certain amount of greed. Um, if people have seen Altered Carbon, mm-hmm. where you've got these sky cities, and there's the people with the haves and the have-nots. Mm-hmm. That's a very strong element. And so the, the idea of a battle lord, and I'll explain that because that's part of the game. The battle lord idea is you've got somebody who's got so much prestige. In, in modern times, it'd be like a, a football player who's really popular. Everyone mm-hmm. knows this player, he's gotten to that level, right? But they've mm. got to work their way up. Same idea with battle lords. Nobody starts a battle lord. Mm. You start off as just nobody. You have maybe no skills even, just a little bit. You're starting to learn your skills. Um, but that's the goal is to get so well known. They give you an area of space. You're, you're, you're a marshal. Here's, mm. here's these planets, all of these sectors. You're going to travel around. You're going to solve things that we can't solve because we can't get there fast enough. So you're deputized, go do it, take care of it. I don't want to know. I don't hear anything other than it's solved. And so that's the goal of the, the battle lord, right? And that's that kind of a arc that we have for the from a story perspective. Yeah. So you're kind of creating this character who's an absolute nobody and your goal is to try and survive long enough to become that kind of yeah, sector marshal, whatever it is, the battle lord. And um yeah, that's a natural storage progression as well. I've got police outside. Okay. Um Right. So we've we, you know we've talked about the big sweep of the game. Is there anything massively important we've missed so far that people need to know that makes this game utterly distinctive? I think we've covered the main things that make the game distinctive. I think I'll add in something about the book itself, yep. um, which is just the intent for the book was to create a gameplay experience that lets people have everything. Again, since most people are familiar with D&D, mm. the idea here, we've got the player's manual, the DM's guide, as they used to call it, mm. and the monster manual. We've got all the pieces there. So you've got all the types of kit you could ever want. You could start off with, I'm a beginning character. I've got a pokey stick mm-hmm. and maybe a knife and maybe a very small gun. And you can start it with nothing. You can go all the way up to, we've got people with tanks, we've got people with big mecha, we've got these massive guns, we've got artillery coming in, we've got spaceships flying overhead, dropping bombs. You can go to there. Um, And the whole gamut is available. So that that gives people like, uh, we wanted to give everyone a feel for every kind of gameplay they can get in the core rules and not have to buy a whole bunch of supplements. Not to say we won't have them, just we don't want to kind of focus everyone in on, you know, using D&D terms. You can get to fifth level and that's it. Yeah. And then if you want more, you got to go get five to 10 and then 10 to 15. So we've got everything in there from that perspective. Um, and everything really comes back to the gameplay mechanic of the team together. So it's all about people. So the spaceship combat is actually not about spaceships. It's really about the decisions that the people make and it may be a decision of, are you going to try to dodge the incoming fire, dodge that missile, or are you going to shoot the guy that's boarding the bridge? Mm-hmm. He's got a gun. He might shoot you. Ooh, mm, tough choice. <laughs> blown up ship, blown up face. Oh. <laughs> that segue so nicely into what was kind of bubbling up as the next question. Because I know that you're the starship and spacey stuff guy, right? You're the... Yeah, so um, Tony and I spent a lot of time working out Um, some of the kinks in combat to try to smooth that out a bit. Mm. Uh, And then we turned our attention to, so how do we want to deal with spaceships? Mm. And again, we started with what's realistic. Okay, great. Now what's fun. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then like, well, hold on before we get too far into that, 
how do we make sure that we keep this the, the, the core of the game is about the team and it's about the players mm. and it, it ceases to become the same game if it's all about i've got a ship i move it here i twist it i go it here i yeah. shoot but that that loses it so like yeah. oh, how do we do this um so I, I go back a day or two as i've mentioned uh, one of the game systems that i used to play way way back in the day that was inspirational for this was uh, a game by fasa mm-hmm. they had a star trek game where you had somebody who was running the con they were responsible for driving the ship and allocating engine power you mm-hmm. had somebody responsible for the whole ship's power you had somebody for targeting the weapons and all that so you had all these kind of people mm-hmm. out of roles right and so that got me thinking uh and tony and i worked out he's also run uh it was like a battle stations game or something i, I don't know mm-hmm. i don't know it but yeah. anyway so just kind of how do we get players making choices that affect the ship as well as regular things that they do. And so that's kind of where it started. And then we just started pulling all the pieces together. And how do we make that work in a way that abstracts it enough so that it's fun, playable, mm. but still reasonably realistic? Yeah, I mean, almost every science fiction game I've played, I mean, the only exception I can think of straight off the top of my head in recent years has been the Star Trek, uh, recent Star Trek Adventures game. But actually, again, has the trying to do this thing where the characters are doing stuff and the ship is sort of incidental almost you know um every other science fiction game seems to devolve into yeah we're going to play this miniatures war game over here now um so it's kind of relieving to hear that that you're sort of avoiding that um yeah what sort of i mean in terms of like the role-playing challenge of that that i assume it's kind of like having the the vehicle thing going on in a sort of abstract sense in your mind but you know in an imaginative sense but um, are you saying that the mechanics or the mechanisms of that are very much about this individual decision now I've got to make, you know, you know, the, the con or the weapons officer or whatever? Do you know what I mean? Is that mm-hmm. what you're... Right. So, I mean, that's, that's where it comes down to, particularly if there's a boarding going on. Mm. Then you literally do have somebody who... That scenario I gave you is a realistic example. You have mm. somebody who's at the station flying the ship. They're running the mm. pilot role of the ship. Mm-hmm. And they've got a choice. Do I want to take evasive maneuvers because we're getting shot at and we're taking damage and our shields are starting to fail? Mm-hmm. I, I don't want the shields to fail. However, the door just got breached and there's yeah. a guy with a very big gun coming through. And he might shoot somebody else, but he might shoot me. <laughs> yeah. I've got a gun at my side and I've got a ship behind me that's mm-hmm. also going to shoot me. And so they can choose, you know, getting very mechanical. Do I take an action? Do I take my actions and devote them to piloting the ship to take evasive maneuvers? Mm. That gives the ship a bonus to try to dodge. Do I want to take my firearm and take a snapshot penalty, but I'm going to shoot this guy and hopefully mm-hmm. at least get him behind the door. So, and then I can just keep shooting blindly just to keep him ducking while mm. I go back to flying. You know, what do I want to do? And, mm. and then a role play aspect of, Hey, I need you to do the evasive maneuvers because I'm working on fixing the shields. If you give me some time, I may be able to give us enough room that then we can have the Pythonian shoot the bejesus out of that ship. Mm. That's great, but who's going to take care of that guy? Because <laughs> 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 I don't want to get shot. So is this something that you, you kind of alluded, I think, in it, um, earlier on, though, that this is something that wasn't originally in the game um, way back? Correct. Yeah, the core rule sets hadn't really picked up a cohesive uh, in in the core rules way mm. of approaching this. Mm-hmm. They would kind of sketch out, kind of like you alluded to earlier. Eh, here's a ship. It goes fast. It does things. It shoots stuff. Yeah. And it does lots of damage. Mm. Okay, great. And if I wanted to do that, what would that look like? Yeah, yeah. Would I be moving a miniature? Or would I be? You know, what would I be doing? And so it was always a bit light on the specifics and the details and more on the thematic 
Mm. And so what we try to do is take the thematic that was there before and then underpin it with some rules that worked to cover things. Where the, the old, at the end of the day, it's not really designed to be a system that's all about spaceship battle. So it's really mm. there to help support the larger narrative of, did you get to where you're going? Or did you get away from where you're trying to get away from, right? Mm. There's always a goal when you're, when you're traveling. So how's the, I mean, the Kickstarter was obviously a success and you brought the game into the world. How's it been received, the, the new edition? Uh, so it's gone pretty well. Um, I, I have to say, obviously, with, with the world being the way it is this year, 2020 has just wrecked all plans that were out there, right? Mm -hmm. um, nobody planned on 2020 going this way. Um, so we've actually done pretty well in the U.S. Um, we've, we've got a toehold in, in Europe, but it's been um, a bit trickier because with the lack of conventions, um, that's a mm -hmm. big way to get the word out, right? You've got yeah. something shiny sitting out there. When you've got beautiful art, people pick it up. They go, ooh, mm -hmm. for the artwork alone, I want this, right? Yeah. And then you talk to them. And, and so that's, that's a lot harder. Yeah. And it's, it's massive too, right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah it does D4 yeah. damage if you hit somebody with it. Yeah, two, <laughs> two kilos. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it is a beautiful thing. And it seemed to me as well that, you know, it, what I've really enjoyed, and, and talking to you about this kind of re reinforces it in my mind, I think, really. But what I, I you know, really enjoyed about it was this sense of pretty much every kind of epic science fiction i kind of have ever read about or watched or whatever i could probably do it with this um that was yeah. my impression yeah that and that's that's the one of the strengths i would say of any any skill-based kind of a system they're, they're granular enough and they've got enough pieces in them mm. that are very fine-tuned it's sort of like the difference between duplo bricks which are really big bulky great for you know somebody who's mm. young but uh, if you want to go to the technical level of Lego, all of a sudden you've got gears and motors and all kinds of things you can do, and, and the sky's the limit. And so that's that's exactly it, right? You can mm. you pick anything in science fiction you want to kind of reimagine that you've got it. You know, Firefly, uh, Valerian, uh, Star Wars, uh, Star Trek. Um, all of those are possible. Um, you, you start shifting the setting a bit. Our setting is really very gritty. Uh, you want to mm. do something that's very dark and gritty. It's, it's really well with the existing setup. You mm. wouldn't even have to do too much. Um, if you want to get it a little less gritty, then you, you have to you know, think about how you want to play that out. Um, mm. Exploration is a big possibility. So the exploration aspects of like a, a Stargate or a Star Trek, you could definitely do in this. I've been running something like that. One of the weirder things that I've done in this game is actually, and I don't know exactly how this happened, but I was running a game group. They got their hands on a big cruiser. Um, it was a cruise ship. Mm -hmm. And they started running a cruise line <laughs> and fighting off pirates. And eventually they got so good at running the cruise line, it's kind of like, well, why would I do anything but this? I'm making money. It's a lot less risk. And so we're like, okay, we're retiring you. It's just yeah. <laughs> this concept kind of got off the rails a bit. It's, it's gone off in left field. But uh. yeah. well, 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 it's a fair question, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, okay. What about, I mean, in terms of the setting, you've, you know, you mentioned it's, it's, it's deep and it's clearly very rich from what I've been, my shallow delve so far. You know, I really do need to get through the entire tome at some point. But actually, I was finding, you know, again, with um, you know, games with a rich setting, that can be quite intimidating to the new player as well. Um, you know that that sense of oh you know what do I need to know and you know will I be caught out if I don't know all this you know all this stuff and as a GM I think often it, again you know you feel like if you've got any players who know what they're doing um, you can you, you know it can be difficult for you I guess for me I'm kind of cool with Battle Lords in that nobody else I know of knows it so I get to introduce it but even so putting those fears on the table what would you say is it um, easy to immerse yourself? Uh, well, I would say I would say it differently. 
Don't feel mm-hmm. like you have to immerse yourself. It's got a background. If you like the background, play with it, use it. If not, there's a, at the very beginning of the book, here's a timeline of things that have been going on that gives you a pretty good feel for things. Mm. Go, go with it. What fits with what the group's wanting to do. Um, don't worry about the fact that there's this arachnid invasion. Mm. The team's off running around in here just doing exploration. They're, they're checking out colonies, trying to make sure they're okay. Yeah. Right? So you just make it fit for what it, what, what it is you enjoy, right? There's, there's yeah. no need to play it the way we've got it built out in the books. Uh, there's a lot of background if you want it. Um, mm. If it doesn't help you, yeah. Home rules. Set it to the side. Yeah, I guess it lends itself quite well to like I could drop a bunch of players into a bit of a one shot and we fight some arachnids and you know with some free gens or whatever, and like equally then go and do an exploration game and do a bit of a mission with that, and you give them a bit of a taste of the game and get them used to it, and then say you know come on guys, what do you want to do, um, and build it from there. That would that would probably be the sensible thing, right? Right, and in that mind, um, spoiler plug. Shameless plug. Um, we did a Kickstarter here for a um, supplement that's a set of one-shot modules mm-hmm. of varying types of gameplay at varying levels. So you can be a set of soldiers, some mercenaries, spies, um, people out for a colony ship, uh, out checking out on a colony, running around, checking things out. Um, there's a jailbreak, pirates, basically mercenaries, yeah. doing a jailbreak kind of a thing. So there's a lot of different scenarios that are pre-built, pre-gen characters, ready to go, give people options. They give you a kind of a feel for what the uh, universe is like. Fantastic. When's that out? Um, it's available now, actually. You can go, you can go order. Um, the PDF is available in beta. So it, it kick-started, uh, I want to say, late spring. Mm-hmm. Um, we're rapidly approaching the point where we've got the finalized layout that we'll send across uh, and you're going to back and forth with the with the printer to make sure everything's covered off, all dies, dotted, T's crossed kind of thing. Um, and then it goes to print. So it's, it's, it's at that stage at the point where we've got all the feedback we we're going to get, yeah. final layout and go. I'm only so asking the- and totally selfish reasons because I've got uh, two days uh, lined up at Christmas during the Christmas holiday from school. And, you know, I've got one guy going, hey, can we do some sci-fi for a change? And I'm now immediately thinking that could be a really great product, right? Yeah. You could have a couple of yeah. really great games. Yep. So all good. What are you? What is it for you? It's going to be slightly off on a tangent here, but what is it for you that makes role playing games, you know, valuable? Uh, it's really the creativity and the interaction, mm-hmm. right? It, that's why it's a role playing game. Mm. Um, it's it to to kind of contrast it, you know, BattleTech, no no role playing. It, it's you beat mm. on robots beating on other robots or Car Wars. It's cars banging against other cars. It's, mm-hmm. That's a game and it's fun. Um, but what makes role-playing fun is really that creative aspect. The, hey, can I summon rust monsters to attack this metal thing so that I can have my life be easier? <laughs> yeah, I want to say no, because I've got this whole thing in my mind about how this should go, but I can't. I really want to say no, but I, oh, and it's it's those, those moments you just can't script, right? Yeah. People come up with this thing out of left field, and you're just like, I never would have thought of that. That's a great idea. Let's run with it. Um, we had a game session at uh, Gen Con two years back, uh, and this guy had uh, played a previous game session. He wanted to bring a character across. It was just too much effort to update it because it was a different power level. And I'm mm. like, I can, I can fix this, but it's just taking too long. He's like, that, that's fine. Don't worry about it. I'll just run this one. Mm. And so he ran one of the stock characters, and it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a, a pretty high-end game, and the soldiers are there protecting. It's a last stand scenario. There's mm-hmm. arachnids coming in everywhere. And during all of this, it gets just 
all kinds of things are going bad. There's just lots of missiles and all kinds of things. I'm trying not to do too many spoilers here. Um, and his character gets just, just dead. I mean, just like big holes in him. He's done. And he's like, hey, it's a hospital, right? We're evacuating a hospital. Yeah. It's like, and Herodani jumps up from his gurney, picks up a sword. It's the character he wanted to play and yeah. comes out to attack the arachnids. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going with that. <laughs> You're in. And so he was, he was just doing all kinds of creative things with that character. It was great. Yeah, that's the richness that, you you know, like you said, you might plan something, you might have a bit of a, an idea of what you're expecting, but actually players have liberty to do pretty much whatever's within the, the scope of the setting and background possible. Um, so that's what you're saying, that's, that's the real appeal. Yep, and, and that's that kind of goes back to one of our other core um, guidelines is probably the best way to put it. Mm. We kind of, we, we call it rule number uh, one, I don't know it's rule number one or rule number two. You know, it's a, if it's fun forget about the rules fun it's about this game's about fun have fun so if they do something it's it's not it doesn't line up with the rules or you don't know what the rules are don't worry about it make a call with everyone say hey i think this is how we're going to deal with this everybody agree with that good boom done it's like he uh just to kind of take that as an example he's like hey i've had an arm shot off and a leg shot off can i jump over this arachnid throw the throw the sword in the air jump across the arachnid grab a hold of him with one arm wrap my leg my good leg around him grab the sword and just start beating on him i'm like that's going to be really hard, but sure. You roll well enough, have at. Hmm. Rolls not one. I'm like, well, I'll be darned. Okay. You jump into the air, do a somersault, blood's flying everywhere from your leg. You land on top of him, grab the sword out of the air, and just start beating on his neck, and you see big holes opening up in him. I don't know how you did that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> just really good rolls. It happens. So the core of my show, what I'm trying to do here is I reach out to people who perhaps um, played back in the day or played a bit, you know, but then life got in the way. Um, have you got any advice for people who wanted to come back to the table? Any thoughts on that, especially with science fiction gaming? Yeah, so there's, I would say, you know, take the time. Sometimes we've got so much going on that we just get stuck, mm -hmm. caught up in, like for me, it's I get up, first thing I do is get on the computer, start doing email. Mm -hmm. End of the day, what am I still doing? email mm -hmm. and then i've got horses so then i got to deal with horses and then i come back and i do some more email and then i'm done and then the next day i get up i start take the time to take a deep breath find those moments of fun where you connect with other people talk to other people and aren't staring at you for people who won't be able to see this at your own little phone doing your email checking things out whatever it's take that opportunity and then from a sci-fi game perspective again I would say start with a quick start rules. It's a sci-fi game. Check it out and have some fun. Great. David, thank you so much for your time. It's been brilliant to chat to you. Um, any last words, anything you wanted to say that we haven't covered at all? Uh, yeah, so I guess I'll do a quick shameless plug. Um, if you want to reach out to us, we're available. We've got things on Twitter, Instagram, 23rd century, uh, 23rd century productions.com. So if you go out to 23rd century, you can pick up things there. It's available via Amazon. Um, we do actually have a distributor based out of the UK. So that might have been why you got things so fast. Um, although it really fascinates me that you could have got it from the US. That'd be brilliant. Um, and then we also have a Discord group out there and a Facebook, active Facebook group. Uh, so if you have questions, I guess another thing people get worried about, what about the rules and all that? Well, if you really do want to delve into that detail, go to the Discord, go to Facebook, ask. Somebody was like, uh, somebody hit us recently on Facebook. Hey, this is what happened with this. Can that happen? I was like, 
well, yeah, if the group takes the steps you just said, then yeah, they kind of walked into what would have been a bad situation. Um, so, and you know, that's just kind of the way that played out. But it's, if you want to know and you want to get into that detail, there are people that would be quite happy that have been doing this for a long time. They'll say, hey, yep, here's where the rule is, or here's how I would educate that because that's not uh, adjudicate that, sorry because that's not in the core rules in an explicit way. It's kind of like, well, I would do it this way. And somebody may say, well, yeah, I could do it that way. I was like, hmm. So I would say, you know, think about that as well. I'll make sure that any links, uh, all the relevant links are thrown into the show notes. So don't worry about that too much, but um, we'll, we'll deal with that after the show. Um, no but no, I just want to say thank you. It's been great to have a little bit of a natter about it and get my head around it and, you know, enthused really about Battle Lords of the 23rd Century, which is like a fabulous book, if nothing else. Um, and it sounds like a fabulous game. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate being up at the opportunity to come out here and talk. Thank you for listening to the interview with David. I hope that you enjoyed it. Thanks again to David and the crew from 23rd Century Productions for reaching out via Twitter to encourage both my introduction to the Battle Lords RPG and for doing this interview. You guys really have opened my eyes to military SF in a fresh way. Thank you. If you want to know more, check out 23rdcentury.net. I'll stick the link in the show notes. This then is the last episode of Season 7. I have plenty of content to bring you, but unfortunately not enough energy to deliver at this time. That said, I am proud to announce that this episode marks two milestones for Roleplay Rescue. First, I hit my intended Season 7 allocation of 20 episodes. That's 20 more weeks of podcasting down and dusted. More importantly, I have reached the two years of podcasting milestone, and I can hardly believe it. Roleplay Rescue first aired on November the 28th, 2018, and this episode completes the loop for a second year in a row. Thank you for helping me stay in the game this far. Before you go, I want to say a big thanks to the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. It's you guys who fund the Roleplay Rescue blog at, well, you guessed it, roleplayrescue.com as well as allowing me to pay the server cost for my old blog at ubiquitousrat.net. You've also funded several D&D starter sets, untold sets of dice, and many books and accessories provided to the high school club I have been running where I work. And on top of that, I've used some of the excess to fund trips to Glorantha Games and the Owlbear and Wizard Staff Conventions in 2019, and, rather naughtily, a few role-playing books that I otherwise could not have quite afforded to buy including Battle Lords. Thank you, all of you, more than all of that, for encouraging me and standing by me through good times and, well, yeah, bad. Torchbearers, shieldbearers and swordbearers alike, I will keep uploading the Dungeon Master's Diary to your Patreon feed between now and the airing of Season 8. It's the least I can do. Thank you. And dear listener... Thank you for downloading this episode and indulging David and I in our passion for role-playing games. I hope that you found something either interesting or useful in the episode. Don't forget that it makes a huge difference if you share the episode or even just leave us a positive review on iTunes or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Thank you. That's enough of my rambling thanks. 
Here's wishing you all the best in the months ahead. I don't honestly know exactly when I'll be back, but I will be back. Until then, I'm Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. Game on. (laughs) 